program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Phoenix Lights and Men in Black. That's correct. The Phoenix Lights and Men in Black. Now, most of us are familiar with the story that happened back on uh, March 13th, 1997. So, almost 26 years ago, where you had this mass UFO sightings by, oh, probably thousands of people. It was recorded by quite a few people. Of course, this is 1997. This is pre-smartphone, so the people recording this thing were, in general, they were doing it with uh, video cameras or even with uh, still photos. So you wouldn't have the kind of quality and the uh, amount of uh, recordings that you would expect if it were to happen today. But still, we've got a lot of good, a lot of good uh, visual documentation of this UFO. Now, this thing... <sighs> Basically, it was spotted all the way from uh, western Arizona there uh, and just went clear down into Nevada, even into Mexico. So it's documented all over the place. There's been controversy since then as far as the way that the debunkers have come out and just really, in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of cases, just told outright lies about it. But there's also been some new developments that really shed light onto how this thing was handled. We all know that Governor Fife Symington came out at the time and did this uh, really sorry excuse for a press conference where they brought an actor out dressed as an alien and just made a joke out of the whole thing. You know, he's come out since then and said, well, we had to do that because we were afraid people would be upset and we had to calm people down. Um, I'm not going along with that. And now I came across this... Uh, more information, a video, and a couple articles. I posted a link to the video at the Buy Me a Coffee site. I just thought it's a short video, I don't know, seven, eight minutes, but it's fascinating where this former councilwoman, Frances Barwood, comes out and talks about her experience uh, with what happened, how she was harassed afterwards, how her phones were tapped, and how video evidence of this crap was actually stolen, she believes, from a person's home safe where it was shipped to, where they were supposed to, where it was waiting for her to come take a look at it. She was trying to conduct an investigation into it, and she just got nothing but stonewalled and depersoned. We know how that works. So to give us a little bit of background on this before I get into this councilwoman's story and this whole men in black angle and her vi and people's visits from these men in black, because this is beyond uh, a movie-type uh, character. I believe these are real agents of the deep state, probably somebody that you don't want to have show up at your house. I found this article on uh, bufog.com. It looks like a kind of a blog type deal. It, the title says, uh, March 13, 1997, Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Lights Sightings. Now, what I liked about this was it's got a map. And it really shows how this thing traveled across the country. He starts off here, part of the article is about a fellow that he's interviewed about his particular UFO experiences, which included the Phoenix Lights. I'm not going to get into all that. But I want to give you his little synopsis here, because I think this is probably one of the best, most unbiased um, just summaries of what happened that night. He s says, The Phoenix Lights. I will assume that many people viewing this report will already have a good knowledge of the incident, but if you do not, here's a brief summary of what took place. At 6.55 p.m. on the evening of the 13th of March, 1997, a man from Henderson in Nevada reported seeing a large V-shaped object with six lights on it, with six lights on its leading edge traveling in a southeasterly direction. At about 8.15 p.m., a police officer saw five reddish-colored lights traveling south as he drove away from his house.
Soon after his sighting, reports began coming in from the area of Prescott. Some of these sightings reported that it was a singular, solid object as it blocked out the stars as it passed over. So they're seeing this enormous uh, triangular-shaped UFO. I guess you could almost say boomerang. You know, this sharp edge, triangular shape, basically two legs attached. They're seeing this thing uh, hundreds of feet across, moving overhead silently, and it's so big it's blocking out the stars. In fact, one of the witnesses here, the witness that, that spotted it at 8.15, he says he saw the four lights on the leading edge of the lights, apparently along the wings, or maybe just under the wings. It's a police officer. So the same kind of people that we trust to uh, enforce our laws, to testify whether or not someone's broken the law, the guy that can write you a ticket, the guy that can put you in jail, he says, hey, I saw a UFO. If we can't trust the eyewitness accounts of these police officers, we're in a lot of trouble. It says... The first sighting from Phoenix occurred while the UFO was still over Prescott Valley. A family noticed the lights in the distance, thinking at first they were a formation of separate objects. As the light got closer, over the next ten minutes, the witnesses realized they were attached to a huge V-shaped object. This passed overhead and traveled off in the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. So this thing's moving along. It's either moving along at a lower altitude very slowly or maybe it's quite high and it's so huge that's why they see it at either at either rate this thing is big it's covering a lot of distance and they're watching watching it hover at, in a way that no man-made object could it says as the object flew over phoenix many other witnesses would watch in awe at the incredible sight it was seen from the ground by many residents and police officers and from the air by numerous pilots. So we have people on the ground seeing it and people in the air seeing it. And don't forget, one of those pilots was Kurt Russell. Many people who have come forward in the years following the incident to describe what they what they witnessed. One such person was the governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, who famously brushed off the incident while in his position, but years later came out to say he had also observed it and that he believed it to have been an alien in origin. This is very troubling because, as this councilwoman, Frances Barwood, points out, they were counting on Fife Symington to give them answers back in 1997. And all he gave them was ridicule. Now, 20, you know, 24, 25, 26 later, years later, whatever it was, he wants to come out and say, oh yeah, I thought it was an alien too. But the fact is, is that he obviously buckled to pressure. Likely pressure from the deep state. Now, Maybe we shouldn't criticize Mr. Symington for that. Maybe anybody would have. But it's troubling to know that the people that we elect to represent us, to give us the truth about things, found it impossible to be honest with his constituents in that moment. They drug out this individual dressed in this idiotic-looking alien costume and just made a big joke about it. When it would have been much more adult-like and much more responsible for him to simply say, you know, the way that, that the way that Harry Truman did. These things have been happening for a long time. We don't know what's going on with them. They, they're just there. You know as much as we do. That would have been the responsible thing to say. He says, after the UFO had left the area of Phoenix, it continued on a southeasterly course toward Tucson. Some of the last reported sightings of it came from the northwestern outskirts of the city.
Now they've got a pretty good map here. One of the best I've seen actually as far as clarity and being able to read it. I'm going to try to post a copy of this on the site, the uh, Buy Me a Coffee site over there. I got some stuff posted. I'd encourage you to take a look at it. I try to put some links up there to some of the stuff we're talking about. I put a link to the video up there that I referenced. And I'll put a link to this map up there. And you can just see this southeasterly path that this uh, enormously large UFO took as it went from uh, up here in this, you know, the far western part of Arizona uh, down to Phoenix, down on to Tucson, and then reportedly even into Mexico. It says, hours later, after around 10 p.m., a curved line of glowing lights was observed and videotaped by numerous witnesses. This caused much confusion, and some witnesses attributed the lights to the same object which passed over the city earlier in the evening. It was later proposed and widely accepted that these lights were caused by military flares, which were dropped by four A-10 warthogs during a training exercise going on behind a nearby mountain range. Some feel that the flares were dropped on purpose to aid in the cover-up of the initial incident. Unfortunately, there are very few videos or photographs reporting to show the UFO which had passed over Phoenix hours earlier, most likely because people were awestruck watching it, or because men in black showed up to their house and took it, or men in black tapped the phones of a city councilwoman, or men in black broke into a private individual's safe and took it. Those are all allegations that have been made. This, this, as far as this business of the flares go, this is a classic parallel narrative being developed on the spot. We saw this just recently with the three uh, UFOs shot down over um, Alaska, Yukon, and Lake Huron. Right in the middle of this, you know, while the senators are telling us that they've been briefed and that these weren't weather balloons or spy balloons, right in the middle of all that, we have this unknown hobby group coming forward and saying, oh yeah, we're missing a balloon, even though it doesn't fit the description of what the pilot shot down. And then the media just takes that and begins to just muddy the waters. They begin to pour all of this uh, disinformation into the conversation. And pretty soon you have a parallel narrative where the narrative began, you know, open and honestly, this is a cylindrical shaped object. This is a rectangular object. No means of propulsion. Doesn't look like a balloon. No strings hanging down. Don't see any balloon parts to it. It's just, it looks more like one of those Tic Tac UFOs. It's moving in ways that a balloon doesn't move. That narrative is pushed aside to say, oh yeah, well this is a hobby balloon and we don't track those. We do track the 200 or so a day that are released as weather balloons. So we know it's not a weather balloon, but it could be from Google or one of the big tech companies. You know those crazy guys. They're putting balloons up all the time. And yeah, it was hanging out at a 40,000 foot level where it could have been crashed into by a passenger jet and killed a couple hundred people. But hey, no worries. It's a big sky, right? So that was a narrative shift that happened there. And this is the kind of narrative shift that we see with these Phoenix lights. First off, you see these people come out. And of course, it's 1997. You don't have a couple million people in that immediate area with smartphones, with high-quality cameras on those phones that can just point and shoot. What you have is people that have to go back into the house. They have to grab their VCR camera. They have to come out. They have to try to adjust that thing. Most of those cameras probably really weren't um, expensive enough or high-quality enough to get really good-quality pictures from these things. It just happened at night. So it was an easy uh, sighting to debunk because there was actually a lack of really high-quality photos. 
especially when I said men in black show up and some of those high quality uh, photos or recordings disappear forever. I want to take a look at this next article right here. Um, this is this goes a little bit further into um, the actual events that happened after the sighting. So we've, we've talked about the sighting, this giant rectangular ship that was repeatedly reported and, and video recorded and had pictures taken of that went all the way from, you know, the middle of Arizona there, clear down across the state, uh, even into Mexico. So this thing was witnessed by thousands and thousands and maybe even millions of people, okay? It's well-known. People talk about it. But then we have to ask, well, what happened right after? We know that during the sighting, it looks like the military released flares off. Could have been a legitimate training exercise, but it looks a lot more like it was just something done, if that's what happened, to muddy the waters. Who knows? Maybe the UFO left those left those uh, flares off. But we know some kind of action appears to have been taken to create a parallel narrative right in the middle of this occurrence happening. Now this article comes to us from howandwise.com. It says, Arizona man filmed huge solid UFO and Phoenix Lights, MIB, took video, and man vanished. This is from five months ago. And this is exactly what Frances Barwood, the um, former city councilwoman, told the interviewer in the, in the video that I posted a link to. This guy gets in contact with her. Video never shows up. She can't find the guy. Gone. Can't find him in the obits. Nothing. On the night of March 13, 1997, the people of the United States witnessed one of the largest and best-known UFO sightings in history. The UAP phenomena was observed in the skies over the southwestern states of Arizona and Nevada and the Mexican state of Sonora, according to a Rocky Mountain poll conducted at that time, as well as a commotion that ensued around 10% of Arizonans claim to have witnessed the incident that is now known as the Phoenix Lights. 10% of the population. Okay, I want you to understand, 10%, that's statistically significant. That's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's just a, that, that's the sample. That's 10% 10, 10 that have come forward. Probably twice that many, maybe three times that many actually witnessed it. One of the eyewitnesses named Richard Curtis from Arizona claiming to have solid evidence of the incident, contacted local councilwoman Frances Barwood. That's the woman that was interviewed in this YouTube video that I posted the link to, okay? It's a very short video. I highly recommend you watch it. He vanished following an encounter with MIB and a media revelation. <laughs> he got a visit from the men in black. He talked about it. He's gone. Francis Barwood, a member of the city council, opened an investigation into the incident. Okay, elected official, trying to do her job, trying to investigate something that happened, and disclose the truth. Since the military and local authorities had already managed to claim that the lights were seen by the eyewitnesses or only flares, her co-workers thought her behavior was ludicrous. There you go. They got that parallel narrative started immediately. In the middle of that UFO sighting, actually, they started the parallel narrative. Oh, those are only flares. And, you know, they have the resources. If we need to take up a couple of A-10 warthogs and drop some flares, we can do that. Barwood received a call from Richard Curtis a few months later. 
He said right away that he had extremely detailed footage of the Phoenix Lights, despite being an injured former soldier. He claimed that he had personally captured them using high-quality equipment. There's your needle in the haystack. You've got a guy, former military. He's a, He has a hobby of, of photography, and he has high-quality equipment. It's 1997. Remember that. He said, quote, He said you could see the shape. He said you could see how big it was in comparison to the surrounding building and everything. He described that the lights were gaseous. He was he was so excited that he had gotten all this on video, Barwood recalled him telling her. Additionally, Curtis admitted to Barwood that he had no idea who else to call and that he trusted her. Well, he should have used the old uh, mob boss theory, and that is never use the phone. Because I think that's where his problem started with. Since the majority of the Phoenix Lights video footage up until this point had been merely specks of light on a dark background, Barwood was intrigued by this message. Curtis agreed to provide copies of the footage to Barwood's office after she urged him to do so. However, days passed and she did not receive films either by mail or by courier. I thought he made this up. He didn't have video. You know, all this stuff, she said. Well, that's what you would normally think, I suppose, but this guy took the time to call his city councilman, tells her he's got this high-quality video footage, and then she doesn't hear anything. A week later, Curtis telephoned Barwood at her house and inquired about her thoughts on the films. Barwood informed him that she had not received them and expressed her amazement. Curtis continued by telling her that following their phone call, two men from her workplace stopped by at his home. The two similar-looking individuals were fully covered in black, three-piece black suits, black shoes, black hats, black suitcases, etc. And you know, who wears a black hat these days? Really? When was the last time you saw a guy dressed in a business suit wearing one of those old 1950s, 60s hats? This is, it's like a uniform for him. The men were not dressed in jackets or other gear, even though it was fairly chilly outside. It struck Curtis as weird. Now they have a picture of this Curtis guy here this, on this episode, on this episode of the House and Wise. Kind of a middle-aged guy, long hair, beard. Richard Curtis, it says, photographed UFO. And that's it's a screenshot from a Fox 10 interview he'd done. It goes on and says, he asked the men if they were from Barber's office, and they confirmed it. Then they inquired about the Phoenix Lights videos, specifically to find out if Curtis had copied them. They responded that they would make copies for him themselves when he said he had not been able to. Curtis then handed him his videos, and the two men left his house in a black sedan. Now the article goes on to state that Barwood informed Curtis that she had no men in her office and that all of her staff were female. Quote, I had no idea who these guys were. It sounds so bizarre. Nothing made sense to me. Barwood recalled thinking, all of this infuriated Richard Curtis, who concluded that the authorities had misled him. In an interview with Phoenix TV, he discussed everything that had happened, including the men in black visit, and that they took his video. I'm thinking that might have been Mr. Curtis's big mistake. Shortly after that, when Barwood tried to call Curtis, she discovered that he was not answering. When she got to his apartment, he was not there but the neighbors informed her that Curtis had supposedly taken a faulty medication 
and had been transported to, by ambulance to the hospital. Oh, boy. There were no records of Curtis ever being admitted to any Phoenix area hospital, but Barwood started looking for him there. Barwood made the decision to have her phone lines checked by a professional when she questioned how the odd men even knew about the tapes. He visited her house and conducted his test. This is the, this is the tester. And after that, he went outdoors. He wouldn't come back in the house. He came to the back door and said, Nope, I'm not coming in. Yes, your phone is tapped. It's a government tap, she said. So she has her phones tested, and the technician comes over and says, Yes, your phones certainly have been have been uh, tapped or compromised, and it looks to me like it's been done by a government agency. Since the military and authorities insisted that the Phoenix lights were nothing more than flares, Barwood was astounded to learn that someone in the U.S. government had tapped her phones. Richard Curtis vanished without a trace. It became a worldwide sensation through the course of the subsequent months. It was the second biggest case in UFOlogy after Roswell, according to the late Art Bell, who hosts a syndicated paranormal radio program, Coast to Coast. The bizarre light show, according to skeptics, was caused by man-made aircraft of Glendale's Luke's Air Force Base or the neighboring military installations conducting training drills. The Phoenix lights, according to ufologists, were not of this world. Well, as we said, right from the very beginning, there was a parallel narrative that was started on this thing. And this city councilman, Francis Barwood, she says, look, I became suspicious after the package didn't show up. I had a technician come to my house and check my phones, and my phones were tapped. Now it goes on here, it says, here's a transcript from this. From This This is a short little transcript. I'm going I'm to go ahead and cover it right here. This is from the interview, I believe, yes, with Curtis. It says, uh, months, after, this is, months after this March 13th sighting, there are many questions regarding the strange lights over Phoenix. Is this a solid craft or merely lights in an empty sky? What could be the conclusive evidence is now mysteriously missing. Richard Curtis claims his home video is proof that this sighting was a huge flying craft. And he claims his video shows a solid object in the sky passing over his home. Look, if you get this kind of video, you want to release it immediately. Make copies, lots and lots of copies, and release it all over the place. Or take it and run it through a garbage compactor. One or the other. You don't want to be that guy out there that has the only copy of something like this, kind of like the Zerberger film, you know. You don't want something that's going to go against the narrative. You don't, you don't want that in your possession. You want that either in the public domain or gone forever. You don't want to put yourself out there as a target. And it's just too bad that Mr. Curtis couldn't have just rushed that tape over to uh, the city councilman Barwood's office that day and broadcast it. Uh, on the news media, at least maybe it could have made it out there on live tele television for 10 minutes, and maybe he wouldn't have disappeared. He goes on and says, this is Curtis talking, I saw the bottom part of the craft as it went over Phoenix because the lights lit the bottom of it, and it partially blocked out the clouds and the stars. Curtis called City Councilwoman Frances Emma Barwood, wanting to show her the footage. And then it says, Barwood says, he said he had it on two videotapes, and would I like them? So I said, of course I would. And would he give me copies of them? He said he would. I told him how to get them to my office and to make them personal and confidential. Look, chain of custody. Don't assume, don't assume that you're not being listened to. You want to do this, 
in the open where everybody can see it. Okay, I realize they didn't have the internet back then, but the best thing this guy could have done was number one, made a couple copies, and number two, made a trip around to all the local news uh, stations and given them copies. Just start giving away copies. Dozens and dozens of copies. You You do not want it to be a secret, and you certainly don't want it to be a secret that you're associated with or you're in charge of. You've just made yourself a target. Transparency and clarity. Those are the key words here. Transparent at all times. It says, but Curtis could send copies to Barwood, but before Curtis could send copies to Barwood, he's paid a visit by two mysterious men in black. They were dressed in black suits with black hats and sunglasses. They asked him if I had they asked me if I had tapes for Councilwoman Barwood, and I said, Yeah, they're laying right here. They said, we've stopped by to pick them up. So I said, great, and just handed the original tapes to them. The same way they picked the tapes up off the Navy ship there back in, what, 2004, right? Barwood, I didn't get them, and I have no idea who these two men were since I just have females working in my office. It's absolutely puzzling to me. Then this says the interviewer says, did the tapes ever exist? And if so, were they proof of more than lights in the sky? And who were these mysterious men in black who allegedly took them? Curtis says, I think someone listened in on that phone call on one of those tapes. Barwood says, I can't explain it. It's just eerie. The mystery continues. Well, the mystery does continue. Now, I have not heard if if uh, if uh, Mr. Curtis here, Richard Curtis, ever showed back up or not. In the video that I watched that just came out a couple days ago, they talked like he's still missing. If anybody has any has any news on that, it'd be great. Leave a comment on Twitter or something, or even over at the Buy Me a Coffee site. But I just I just think this adds such a, another level of complexity to this Phoenix Lights sighting. I mean, it's a sighting that we're all familiar with. It's, it was just so amazing, this enormous mass sighting. And now, all these years later, we have this, this uh, city councilwoman stepping forward, talking about her phone being tapped, about this run-in with Ben and Black, and about this poor soul, Mr. Richard Curtis, uh, as far as we know, being still disappeared 26 years later. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.